What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast. Thank you for people who are watching this video and listening to the audio version of this. Today, you're going to hear from a surviving victim of the DC sniper attack. So John Muhammad and Lee Boyd Malvo went on a shooting spree and killed 10 plus people uh, in the DMV area and across the country, really, and were caught at a rest stop in Hagerstown, Maryland, about 20 days after starting this spree where they were shooting people and killing them from uh, using a sniper rifle uh, from the back of a uh, Caprice. Crazy story. If you haven't heard of it, I don't know what rock you were under. But today's episode, I get to interview Paul Arufa. He was the very first person shot uh, in the DMV area. Uh, and then they eventually used his money to bankroll their killing spree over the next 30 days. So it's fascinating. It's an intriguing episode. Please like this video, subscribe to the channel, and hit that bell notification. Uh, so you get notified every single time I post new content, which is every Friday. I might throw in some bonus episodes here and there when I have like a lot of episodes that I've interviewed. Enjoy this episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast of Paul Arufa, a survivor of the DC Sniper. I'll see you next week. Peace out. Cool, cool. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have a very special guest, um, Paul Larufa, who... I'm going to let him tell his story here in a second, but just a little synopsis of him. He was the very first victim in the DMV area of the DC sniper, John Muhammad and Lee Boyd Malvo, um, who are infamous for reigning terror on the, the Washington, DC area for, I think, about a month, month and a half, um, uh, going around and, and shooting people with a sniper rifle in the back of a Monte Carlo. Um, and the thought that went into that is absolutely fascinating, but... Uh, we'll talk more about Paul's role in all of this, um, but he is a survivor of that, uh, which is amazing. And I'm gonna let I'm gonna take it over to him and let him kind of who who is Paul Larufa? <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, my name is Paul Larufa, and uh, just to shorten my biography here, I uh, was in the corporate world for a while, and then my wife and I decided to. Uh, leave our jobs and do something we always wanted to do, which was to own a restaurant. So fast forward, we actually did start a restaurant. We, we bought an existing restaurant, changed it around a bit, and became, it became a successful place. And in, uh, that was in 1986. So uh, if you uh, go to 2002, when it happened, so we, uh, we were in the restaurant business at that time for uh, however, 96, 16 years. Uh, so what happened to me was after uh, I uh, had left my restaurant uh, every night for years, same manner, I would uh, check the, I'd always leave with people, didn't want to leave alone, just for security reasons, not to leave by yourself. Sometimes I'd bring, I'd be carrying the receipts with me. And uh, so I would go to the bank the next day before I opened up. Other times I would leave it in a safe in the restaurant. It, it just depended there. But this night on September 5th, uh, nine, uh, 2002, I left with two other individuals at about a little after 10 o'clock at night. I was carrying my laptop and uh, uh, a bank bag with receipts in it, with cash in it and receipts and, and credit card receipts. 
So I, uh, we usually would check outside, make sure everything looked okay. There wasn't, there weren't people hanging around or anything unusual. And I left with two other individuals. We all walked to our respective cars and I put the, I opened the back door of my car, put the receipts and the laptop on the back seat, shut the door, opened the driver's side, got in and sat down and was ready to start the car and, and drive home, which I only lived a mile away from the restaurant. What happened next was just, uh, there are no words to explain it. It was incredible. Uh, suddenly the window next to me just exploded with a tremendously loud sound that deafened my left ear. The glass from the window shattered all over me. Uh, and the that was the first shot. And then there were four more shots and I was being shot. Uh, it was shocking. It was uh, surprising. It was confusing. I was was shot and I leaned over the the console of the of the car. It was over in in seconds. I mean there were five shots and then it was silence, really silence. My left ear was was muffled because of the sound of the shot in the window breaking. I, I was deaf in my left ear. It was just like I was underwater. So I was leaning over on the console and and I said, well, um, I, I can still move. And so I got up, I, I raised myself up in this, in the driver's seat and I opened the door and I got out and I looked to uh, my left or straight ahead. And one of the people I left with was walking towards me with his phone. And I said, dial 911 and he, <coughs> excuse me, he already was. And he did, he dialed 911, told them what had happened, described that uh, pretty accurately, he said a, a, a young black male ran out of the corner of the parking lot, hiding behind a, a van and a, and a fence that was there uh, uh, in the corner of the uh, shopping center. And uh, he said that the person ran up to the car and shot, shot me and I was bleeding and I, we needed help. Uh, so eventually it seemed like forever, but it, it wasn't that long where the emergency people arrived. Uh, in the meantime, I was uh, having real trouble breathing because I didn't know, but at the time, because of the blood uh, building up in, inside me, it collapsed both my lungs. So I was bleeding a lot outside but there was also a lot of internal beating so I, I kept getting less and less able to breathe which really was scary uh so the emergency people got me in in an ambulance and they were going to uh originally they were going to call for a helicopter and the helicopters helicopter was too far away so they i went in an ambulance to the a trauma center which was not close. It was pro probably 15 miles away. So that was a tough trip because uh, it took a while. And I kept asking how much longer, how much longer. Uh, 
and they said it won't be long it won't be long uh i had a hard time breathing as i said and i really didn't want the oxygen mask on my face because when you when you can't breathe you don't want something on your face but they kept putting it back on so you gotta you gotta keep it on so we finally arrived at the trauma center and uh, it was a scene like uh like you you see on tv uh, there were a bunch of people that that came around the gurney and wheeled me in and and got me off that gurney onto another gurney and told me they were gonna uh you know put me to sleep and they did and they operated for seven or eight hours and saved my life uh so i woke up the next day uh and it was pretty confusing i i, I woke up and i had tubes coming out of my body i had drain tubes out, out of my chest and feeding tubes in both arms and uh the, the main thing i remember is the first thing i did was i i couldn't really move but i did just glance over at my left arm and it was it was unrecognizable it was the size of a football and black and blue and it didn't look like it belonged to me and i said holy mackerel that but that was one of the bullets had gone through my arm into my, all the bullets hit me but one went through my arm into my side into my chest and it swelled up beyond what you could ever believe your skin could swell up but that was one thing i saw and it just shocking and the, the other thing was that i was happy i was i saw my wife and other people that were there and uh but i had a breathing tube because uh, i couldn't breathe on my own so i couldn't talk or anything and uh i couldn't basically i couldn't move so that was the start of my hospital experience for the next seven or eight days and uh there are other things that go along with that but uh that's that's the story in in a nutshell of what happened to me on that day right so well no that, thank thank you for sharing that that was uh having to and, and we talked about this before on the phone and having to like relive this stuff after we're coming up on 20 years now yeah. uh next yeah. year which is it's crazy when i see you know 9 11 this is 20 years this is 20 right. years for you it's like god damn that's so right. long ago but yeah. for people that were involved and remember it it feels like yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, me personally, I was not involved, like I told you on the phone. But uh, I don't know if you've ever talked to someone uh, that's interviewed you that actually was in the vicinity of the area during this. But I think it's, I mean, it gives me chills, even when I see stuff or talk, or when I hear people talking about it. And I'm like, you literally have no idea. And to 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 right. and you're in like an, an exceptional example because you literally were entwined in this entire thing. But just the just so everyone listening and watching understands, you know, and this happens too when you hear about like you know Richard Ramirez terrorizing California. When you hear about Ted Bundy, to if you didn't live in the area, you don't really understand what it felt. You know, COVID made you not be able to go outside, right? You couldn't go outside. You couldn't do anything you literally could not go outside right, right. because you were scared you were going to get shot in the head by a sniper mm -hmm. rifle. So the fact that for over a month that this terror was reigning over the DC area, which is a huge area. It's the capital of the country. It's like, 
it was unheard of and never happened before. And it was so unpredictable. So yeah. for the people listening and watching to understand, that's what you have to understand that this was a, no one knew what was going to happen next. It was literally like you were in a movie. Um, because you know, you couldn't go outside because they said we were going to pick the, shoot the tires off of a bus and pick out the kitties when they would come off the, literally would say that they would send terror cards to the police department. It was like, you tune in every single night to see what happened that day. And having you who, who, who lived through it, which we'll get to in a minute of you were basically the bankroll of what happened uh, right. the, for the next month and a half. But just so all the listeners and watchers can understand, this was unprecedented at the time and still is, has never happened to this capacity ever since then. Um, and it was absolutely terrifying. You literally could not go pump gas. You couldn't go to Home Depot. You couldn't go to the grocery store without looking over your shoulder and wondering, am I next? So just keep that in mind when, when Paul and I have this conversation because that's how it felt uh, you know, even as a young kid, you know, I was, I was living in my aunt's house in Montgomery County, literally where all of this was happening around your area. Right. Um, and, you know, we couldn't go outside. All outdoor sports had to be inside. It was like, it was unprecedented. So right. let's talk a little bit more about, you know, the, there's something that you told me that I just, let's just get it out the other day on the phone, which, which literally blew my mind. So what you just said about, um, and, and it was Lee Boyd Malvo, the 17-year-old that right. shot you. So it wasn't Muhammad. Muhammad didn't pull the trigger on any of these people. Um, Malvo did it all, which is fascinating in itself. So Paul was shot by uh, a 17-year-old boy, uh, Lee Boyd Malvo, um, who was the trigger man for all the other shootings as well. But there's something that Paul told me on the phone last week that literally blew my mind because I would never know this and you would never know this because if you've seen anything on Paul he doesn't get the time to really talk about this kind of stuff so Paul why don't you tell me what happened a couple of days before you actually got shot okay uh, first of all I'd just like to remind everybody that I was shot September 5th the 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 multiple murders on different days didn't start until October so when I was shot there, there was no sniper and nobody knew anything about a sniper. My, my case was somebody walked up to the car and shot me, opened the back door, took, took my laptop and, and the bank bag and ran down the street. That, that's what happened. But what Corey's referring to is that two days before that, it was Thursday when it happened. One day before that was a Wednesday. I left in the same manner but I left with a whole bunch of people. There was an office party there. And when that broke up, we closed up. And so I left with a lot of people and there was no opportunity for him to do it. However, the, the day before that on a Tuesday, so two days before I was actually shot, I left similarly with a couple of people, got in my car, started to back out of parking spot to, to go home and heard a thump. I said, something's wrong with the car. Oh, it's a flat tire. It's a long day. I don't feel like, I mean, my thought process was, I, I don't feel like changing a tire now. I'm going to drive slowly a mile away, not a lot of traffic, and, and worry about the tire tomorrow or the next day. So I I drove home. What I found out later, much later after this whole thing was exposed and, and they were caught, 
that they they being Mohammed and and, and Malvo were, were were staking out my they they would watch me leave they they were there I don't know for how long or how many days but at least three days uh, before they did it and uh, what he had done was slash my tire and he wanted me obviously the plan was I'd get out change my tire and he'd run up shoot me in the head and take the stuff and go so without knowing i the decision that tuesday uh there's no doubt in my mind it absolutely absolutely saved my life by deciding not to change that tire that night and go home uh saved my life so that's just one of the many ironic things that mm. are associated with with the whole affair that is when you listen, man, when you told me that I, I almost didn't even believe you. Cause I'm yeah, like, well, I know a lot about this case. And I feel like that is such an intriguing fact that, you know, and, and it just goes to that calculation of Muhammad and Malvo and the planning of it, because it might seem like, Oh, they were just shooting people out of the back of a car. No, they had to be calculated in every move that they made. I mean, when you're, when you're killing people, on a basis that they were doing and and contacting the police that is that's ballsy for one yeah and it takes a lot of of thought to do that too it's like get, this whole thing gave me zodiac killer vibes where it was like are they ever going to find these people but back to that fact is like the fact that they you know like you said how long were they watching did how did they know that you were the owner and you were going to have a bag of cash you know what i mean like did they come into your restaurant and eat and watch and you just didn't even know you know what i mean like like yeah we don't that that's a question that's i you know i had people who worked for me and they they swore that that those that the two of them never came in the restaurant uh because they they were they knew and they could see who's coming in and going out. Of course. And I don't remember ever seeing them come in, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that they 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 came in the restaurant at one point to just to look around or or something. But I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Right. Uh Lee Boy Malvo, that's one of the questions I would ask him if I could. Right. Uh just for curiosity's sake, did they go? They did they go into the restaurant? Did they know my name? Did they know anything about me? Did they you know, those kind of things, just uh, as a curiosity, I, I don't know the answer to them. Right. But uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, honestly, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they knew who you were and knew the details simply because of, like I said earlier, the planning and how calculated Muhammad was in finding out about people. Aside from the shootings, the, the shootings, the sniper shootings were completely random. Completely. Yeah. So going from either either knowing this person is going to have $3,600 from the restaurant to basically shooting people at random. Like that makes me just go crazy in my head. Cause I'm like, damn, that's the complete opposite of that style of crime. If that makes sense. I mean, you know, an armed robbery, you know, basically was what the cops chalked it up to you. They were like, Oh, this is just someone pulling up and robbing this person, you know, we'll investigate it. And then of course his sniper starts the, the month later, the sniper shooting started to happen. And then were you just like an afterthought at that point? Um, yeah. Uh, when, when the, when the sniper shooting started, nobody related it. The two, my experience wasn't related to, to anything 
about the sniper shooting. And the only thing that related it and proved it was after from October 3rd, I think, when it started where they were killing people at random to when they were caught on October 23rd. Uh, the, you know, it was it was just it was completely random and and they you know they, they didn't connect it to me at all right until uh, afterwards and you until say, afterwards until they yeah. found my computer in the car when they right. when they caught them and then they traced it back and said oh, okay now now we put the whole thing together and they outlined it at the first trial they went in chronological order and said paul rufa is what happened and they took the money the the question is is it's kind of curious that they didn't know how much money Right. They didn't know if any money was in that. See, they, uh, he, the, the, the idea wasn't when people say, well, it was, it was an armed robbery. Well, no, it was really, he, he was planning on killing me and taking the stuff. And it's different. He didn't, they didn't ask me for the money. They didn't even know the money was there. There could have been nothing in that bag, uh, you know, and would have, they have killed me just to take the laptop? probably so right you know that's that's what's crazy about it you think that there was a logic oh they knew they were going to get money but you know they didn't really even know that they just were willing to to kill me for the chance of making of getting some money right. and 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 using the laptop uh you know and then as i told you the other day the 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 story you know they used that money that financed them for the next couple of months of uh, buying a car and buying gas and going around randomly shooting people. Right. Yeah. The, um, I, I watched the, the interview with the, the car salesman who sold them the Monte yeah. Carlo. Yeah. And he said, you know, they were, Muhammad literally got in the back of this, of the car and, and lay down in it. And like, he was like, it was very odd what they were doing, yeah. but I mean, you're selling a car. What are you going to question them? What are you going to, it's not like they're coming in to buy a gun and they're saying they're going to shoot somebody with it. So it's like, right, right. you know, had he not sold them their car, I mean, they still would have found a way it seemed, but I think it's fascinating that they use your money, your, your thousand, your couple thousand dollars to go yeah. buy a, a Monte Carlo and then outfit it to how they needed to do it, to do the shootings and then live in a car basically for, for two months until they got caught. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. It's it's. I think it was a Caprice, by the way. It was a Caprice. Right? Oh yeah, I keep saying Monte Carlo. You're yeah, right. Yeah, it's a Caprice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Literally, it's kind of similar cars, but yeah. You're yeah, right. yeah. No, I know, I know. It, it was just... a Caprice. You're right. The, the blue Caprice. Yeah. Yep. So and also, and they just... paid like seven hundred. It was just a yep. big boat, old car. Exactly. I yeah. forgot what year it was, but you know, I think they paid seven hundred bucks for of my money. <laughs> yeah. And, it's uh, crazy, man. So uh, do you ever get that? Yeah, back? that's what started. Pardon me. Do you ever get that back? I. Yeah, I got most of it back from insurance. It's hard to get cash back, but uh, but I did get. I it's hard to prove prove how much is there. But yeah, I I I think I basically got it back. That's interesting. Well, also, well, you can say you know, it's to prevent. How do, how can I prove it was thirty five hundred dollars right, and right, not right. not a hundred dollars? Or you know, what if I said it was ten thousand dollars? You know, so yeah. But I but I but I did. The insurance company w was really fine to deal with they I, they never argued about I say, they probably, buying me a new computer and buying me extra stuff and i hope that and, and, you know so <laughs> well, I, I you said october that. 3rd to october 23rd so that's 20 days of shootings 
I honestly, like, I know that's how long it took. It, it, it felt like it was like a six month spree. Yeah. It, it felt like it went on forever. Um, but did you, okay. So how long were you in the hospital? You said seven or eight days. You yeah, were I, I was just in the hospital. Really? I just couldn't stand it after a while. Cause I was on a breathing uh, machine for three or four days. And then I got off it. I still couldn't breathe really well. So I had to build up my t- uh, lung capacity, which mm-hmm. after about seven days, I, I, it was enough where I said, I, I want to go home. Uh, and, and they let me, they, but they said, if you have trouble, you got to come back. But I, I couldn't, I thought I was breathing. Okay. But I really wasn't. Cause I, right. I couldn't, I could say a sentence, half a sentence. And then I have to take a breath. And so it was, I was really weak for in, in breathing. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I came home in, in a week, say, and, uh, the biggest, longest lasting, uh, physical problem was that the bullet that went through my arm, uh, injured a nerve and, and it's the nerve that controls your hand, the opening of your hand. So it, kind of, it was kind of weird. I could close my left hand. And once it closed, no matter what I did, I couldn't open it. I could what? feel it open, but I couldn't open it. So that that it makes your hand useless. But wow. they had two young uh, occupational or physical therapists, occupational therapists, I guess. They built, and I don't know if they built one of these things before or if they invented it at this time, but it was the most fascinating invention they molded, uh, it's hard to explain, but they molded a, a, a plastic wrap for my arm so it would fit my arm. And they had pins coming out of, out of the front of it. And it was, the idea was it had a pivot point, an a, a anchor point on the back here. Mm-hmm. And it had fish line going through the, the eye, the metal eyes. They were pins with an eye, a hole on, eye on top. And that attached to rubber bands that and went around my fingers. So the thing worked fantastic. If I closed my hand, the rubber bands would pull it open. Huh. So I had use of my hand. I mean, it was a big contraption, hard, I, but I could drive with it and I could actually function with it. It got in the way sometimes, but wow. it made it so I could pick things up. I could actually close my hand on something pick it up, move it and open it. It would just pull my fingers back. And the muscle memory was probably good, started uh, to, the muscle but, memory. Well, but I had no control. See, the nerve was oh. gone. So I could look at my hand closed and I could think of everything and try <laughs> and, and you couldn't open it. You can't, it didn't, there was no feeling unless I did it yourself it manually. So yeah. So you had to manage. So that lasted a year or more. Wow. Uh, but I learned to live with it. And uh, I got by, you know, I still worked every day. And, and uh, sometimes I take the thing off. And uh, eventually, it took a while that the nerve had to regenerate. Wow. So eventually, I'd get a little feeling a little spark in, in my fingers. And the doctor said, that's good. And I so I'd look forward to that feeling of, you know, kind of shocks you, but it's your nerve coming back. Eventually it came back. It's not I mean, you would never know by looking at me, 
Never. It feels different to me, but it's but it's it's not the same as my right hand. But I, there's nothing I can't do with it. It just always feels like I just did a hundred curls of, with my left arm. It just feels different, but right. but it's fine. It's fine. Wow. So anyway, but that was that was the longest lasting physical uh, problem I had. But but I dealt with it. Uh, you know, thanks to that invention that they had and. And uh, it, that helped a lot. That's so. fascinating. And and so that physically, that's what you dealt with. But I mean, I can imagine mentally. I mean, so you're out Definitely. at the hospital, you're back home when the shooting started, started to happen. Are you like looking over your shoulder? Like, yeah. is, is it going to come I'm living, back? I'm living through it like everybody else. I was back at the restaurant uh, and I'm living through that fear. But, the, but initially why I say physically is mentally from the first night when I was conscious. And then that night when I went to sleep was the first time it happened. And you have flashbacks that are just terrifying. They're real. So I real in the sense that I heard, I heard that shot. I heard that. I felt that window breaking. It's the worst. It's worse than any night mayor you could ever have it's just an absolutely you relive it and i relived it every day every night every night i i i jump would jump out of consciousness and feeling hearing that shot and feeling it so for uh, from september 5th till well after they were caught uh it's not an exaggeration to say I would have flashbacks at least once every day, at least once every night. Uh, so I feared going to sleep. I, I was mentally just a wreck. I was uh, nervous. I was, I was anxious all the time. And it, it was tough. It was tough being anxious and not, everybody's anxious because they have to do something. Or do, but when you're incredibly anxious, all the time for no particular reason and you can't control it it's hell it's hell uh because remember i was shot nobody knew who shot me i didn't know whether they were still out there i didn't know whether they were coming back for me i didn't know anything so i was just paranoid and anxious i would be looking out at blinds i couldn't uh i had to get back to the restaurant i tried staying home for a day or so and it just I couldn't do it. I couldn't be there alone. All I did was look out the window and then run to another window and look out the window. And, and I was just a nervous wreck. So I said, I'd feel better if I went to the restaurant around all the people around all. And that, that was great. I could go to the restaurant during the day and uh, hang out. I could work, but not really a lot. And, uh, but I knew at night it was coming. So I, I just didn't want to go to sleep. I tried to stay up as long as I could, but I knew I would fall asleep and then I would wake up at some point where it would just happen again. Wow. So I, that, I went through that. So that was, the, that was the, the hard, just mentally, it was something I never dreamed of going through. And all I can say is it's hard uh, not being able to control what's in your head. You just can't control it. it it's something that happened. I tried every trick in the book. I'm not going to whatever, whatever trick I could think of to try to mentally not have it happen, but it would happen. It right. would just happen. Uh, so that, that, that was the worst, the, the worst 
part of the whole thing. Uh, but luckily, you know, it, it, it waned after they were caught. I think that was a big thing. The fact that they were caught just subconsciously made me better, made me feel better when they were caught and they finally tied it to me and they, okay, these, this is the guy who shot you. I think not consciously felt safer, but I think subconsciously I felt safer because I didn't have the flashbacks anymore. Really? So, they stopped? Yeah, they stopped. Uh, wow. I, you know, I saw, I, I, I did see an expert uh, psychologist in, who handles trauma, P PTSD and other trauma from, especially from police uh, units or police men who, or men or women who, who, who have shot somebody and or have been shot. Right. So I went to see him and I, I only went to see him maybe three, three times, maybe four times. And, and we talked and, uh, and, and, and the thing was the, the, the flashbacks went away. Eventually they, they just went away and I was, I was fine. And I, I was also worried because I felt fine. And I would ask him, I said, is, will I have a relapse? Will, will all of a sudden I, you know, my head blow up or something. Right. And he, and he assured me that, no, I was, I, I dealt with it. And I, it was, it was over, you know, that part of it was over. So I, you know, and then from then on to this day, uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, people say, do you think about it? And, yeah, thinking about it and and being haunted by it is two different things. I'm I'm not haunted by it. I just look at it. I, it was a, an incredible experience in my life that not a good one, but it's something that happened. And and uh, you know I can talk about it. And I'm I'm here and I'm alive. So how can I be? You know I'm happy. Right, right. No, that's a that's a great way to look at it. I mean, I mean. There's really no other way to look at it, right? You know, you know, and so take me to the moment when they get caught. Just so everyone knows, I'll let you tell the story of how they got well, caught, which is fascinating. But how well, did well, they? Good. No, they well they got caught, and later after after some days, they they said a a, a computer. You know, they found a, a laptop. In the, did you in find the, that on the news though, or did someone call you? No, I found that on the news. Wow. I think uh, when they said it was a Sony Vio laptop. I, I said, oh man, oh my I have a I had a Sony bio and never would I have, you know connected what was going on. I said, wow, well maybe it is connected. And then uh you know, then then I was got involved with the FBI and 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 they said yes, it, it was a Sony laptop, but it took forever to get verified that it was my Sony laptop. Now everybody assumed when they found this the Sony laptop. And then it came out that I had a Sony laptop. Everybody assumed it was mine. Wow. So I had news crews at the restaurant, uh, satellite trucks every day for a, a week or more from everywhere. Uh, and I was always careful to, you know, I had to answer their questions honestly, but I said, well, nobody's told me yet that it's mine. Well, we, we, we're pretty sure it's yours, but Nobody said it. So I was always skeptical and always said, well, what if I, I'm out there, I'm on the news, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, okay, this is terrible. And they say, oh, never mind, Paul, it wasn't yours. So we're back to 
with your case, we're back to step one. Right. So I was hoping that wouldn't happen. So I was hoping it was mine. So then, you know, it would prove that we knew what the story was. Right. And, you and get eventually some it just took a long time. It took a right. long time for, because the bureaucracy of it all. And, and you, I was just one little part of 20 police organizations investigating different yeah. parts of it and, and stuff like that. So it just took a while for them to finally say, they finally called me one day and said, yeah, it's definitely, it is your laptop. So wow. we know. And then he, you know, then Malvo admitted that, uh, that it was, you know, and that's where he got it. And, and, and then it went from there as far as a year later going to the trial and the whole thing there. Wow. That's fascinating. So, and, and also like, if you, um, if you haven't looked into the story, I mean, it, it was worldwide. I mean, everyone knew about it, but if, if you can also start tracing back because the, the DMV area was just a portion of their murder spree. Um, they were sprinkled around the entire country and started right. out in Washington state in Seattle, right. um, where Muhammad's Muhammad, tell me if I'm wrong. Muhammad told Malvo, walk up to this door, knock on it, shoot this lady in the face. This is my ex-wife. Well, he shot the wrong woman. He shot her sister what? instead, right? Her no, niece. no, it was her. What, what happened was he, he told her to, he told him to go up to the door and shoot the 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 woman that came to the door the woman it, it, there was a woman in the house and her niece was a, a, a young girl mm -hmm. uh, Kenya Cook he wanted to shoot the woman in the house because the woman in the house was a friend of his ex-wife ex who okay. testified who was at the hearing the child custody hearing right where his children were taken away from him so that's the woman he really wanted to kill. And instead, the young girl answered the door and, and he shot and killed her. And uh, that was the start. Then, then, he went to, then they went to uh, Arizona and shot a man on, a on the golf course, golf course and killed yeah. him. Uh, then, I mean, just the chronology is that then they, they made their way across the country people get confused and if i could let me just go through a real quick please, chronology on please. it when they they came to 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 clinton maryland because uh mohammed's ex-wife lived happened to live right down the road from my restaurant wow so that was the whole deal of they were coming and they were eventually gonna kill her but I, but what happened was then they shot me they got the money they went to jersey they bought the car they came back to the Clinton area where I was and they shot another guy who survived. Uh, he, he was coming out of a liquor store and they just were practicing. They shot him. They, I mean, his story is crazy amazing. He played dead. Wow. He felt Malvo come up to him, roll him over, grab his wallet and leave. But he was alive and he, he called 911 himself and they got to him and they, they saved his life anyway they then they they left the dc area and people get get the chronology mixed up they went to atlanta and they killed the guy they went to montgomery alabama and killed a woman and injured another woman they went to baton rouge louisiana and killed a woman randomly then they came back to dc in early october and shot the three or four people in one day and that's when the days started where they said, oh, this, this is when it mm -hmm. starts. But as you mentioned, it started way 
in the beginning of 2002 right. in, in Washington and came across the country. And then they came, went down again and, you know, came back to DC. So that, that's how it worked out. And, and then they were caught outside DC in, uh, in a, in a uh, rest stop. And uh, anyway, so that, that was yep. the chronology of how it all worked, but I lived through it like everybody else. I was, you know, pumping gas in my car and making sure I, you know, right. ducking around and yeah. you, you, people don't understand, but you, you, you pumped gas in your car and, and left the gas station and actually felt good. Like yeah. you, you beat, you, beat you didn't get shot. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And you felt, Oh man, relieved. Like yeah. I did it. 100%. And uh, it was a crazy feeling because then you'd wake up the next day and look at the news and, and want to sure know enough. where they were and who was yeah. shot. And so anyway, that yeah. it was, it was one, one hell of an experience, uh, that continued to, by the way, uh, today's September 6th that we're doing this. And, and, uh, last night was at 10 15 was the 19th anniversary of my shooting. Wow. Uh, so it was yesterday it was 19 years ago that it happened. That's when it kind of, that's, that's crazy. That's, that's fitting <laughs> that we're doing this the day after. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, amazing. Uh, that it doesn't seem like 19 years. And as right. you said before, anything that happens like this to people, I think they would, they agree that it's both, you have both thoughts that it, and it happened ages ago. And yet you have the thought that it happened last week yep. too. You know, you have both ways of looking at it. Yep. So it's always there, but it's, it's always, it's also amazing that 19 years have gone by and, um, you know, like I got 19 extra years so far on, right. on my life, which is, right. which is incredible. I mean, and that kind of brings me to my, my next question is, you know, so many people died in, yeah. in, in this, and there's a handful, I think two or three survivors, uh, three or four, maybe four, but, yeah. um, the young kid that got shot, uh, I, yeah. I forget his name. Um, and like, do you, ha how do you feel like, do you have, I know there's survivor's guilt, there's all that Probably kind of stuff. You know, no, I never, I, I, I never had bad survivor guilt. I mean, you do wonder. I mean, I, I did wonder. Uh, you know, how, how was I so lucky right. or blessed to survive when others didn't have a chance? And and I'd always say that I would just, I just had a chance. Uh, the other people, if you're mowing your lawn and somebody blows you away with a with a, a a rifle you know you don't have a chance you're you're alive and then you're dead mm -hmm. i was given a, a chance i had a some some time to 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 deal with it but i i never really had uh, i don't think i really any suffered from survivor guilt but you do wonder that you you feel horrible for the people that died and say they didn't have a chance and yet i got i got a chance right uh, so, you know, and, and, and you, people always say, uh, or always said, well, there's a reason you survived, but then the thing is, well, what's the reason, you know, yeah, right. uh, you have to figure out what, what is the, re what should I be doing if, if there really was a, a reason that, that I survived. So right. I, I always joked about it and said, well, 
I, I can't figure out the reason. Maybe I should run for governor or something. Yeah, do, do something <laughs> extraordinary. That, you so, know. But any, anyway, yeah, I, I don't think I, I thought about it, but, but I, I don't know if I suffered from survivor guilt. Maybe to some extent I did, but I don't know. Yeah, All right. I'm just curious because I've always, I've always wondered that because I talked to people in the military that survived, yeah, you know, yeah. crazy situations, and they, they have terrible survivor's guilt because it's their brothers. A little bit different situation. Yeah, it's, it's a little different. I mean, I think yeah. it would be different if you were with three people and they, they yeah, those two died and you didn't. Right. And you'd ask, you really ask the question, why? How did? Why? Why did that happen? Right. Uh, so did, did your did your? Uh, okay, so let's talk about Muhammad. Muhammad was they got caught in Hagerstown, Maryland. Right. Randomly by accident by a truck truck driver that recognized the, the, the license plate. The so, license plate. As soon as the license plate was was put out on on uh, on TV and radio, within oh I don't know, it's a really short period of time that that truck driver saw that license plate on that car at a rest stop. Uh, yeah. And they got him. And then, so, so they, they, they arrested him, they tried him and Muhammad was executed. Right. Did you go to that? No, I said from the start, I wouldn't go <laughs> because, you know, I didn't want to go. I, I, I said, uh, he stole days out of my life. Why? I don't want him to steal another day. I had no desire to, to watch him die. It, it, it wouldn't have made me feel better. And, and I didn't go. I, I did write a, a, a note and I asked them to read it to everybody there. And they did. Oh, wow. And it, it just explained that what I just said, that I, I didn't want him to steal another day from, from me. And that's why I wasn't there. And I, uh, you know, so I, I didn't, I, I had no desire to go. And, and I talked to people who did go and they said, uh, a couple of people said, you, you, you were right. It, it, it didn't, didn't do anything. it didn't uh, satisfy uh, them. Uh, not, not that they were against him being executed. It's right. just the event itself didn't, uh, I mean, I'm sure it, 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 it's, satisfies some people and other people it, they it doesn't right did he show any remorse no he never did he he never admitted anything he never uh he he never showed remorse at all whereas malvo has um uh, they were they were different people and malvo was only 17 and he was 42 and there were a lot of differences but he never showed remorse uh as far as i know at all yeah he looked like he didn't every 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 time i saw he didn't do any interviews that i saw and every time i saw him on camera it was just staring yeah. like looking like right through you you, you, right. you there was nothing there um and why did well, i had the experience talk about you want to know another yeah ironic experience talking about mohammed I think I was the only one, or maybe there were two people. When the trial started, he was representing himself. Mm -hmm. So he got to question me on the witness stand. What? Yeah, see, I was questioned by the guy who wanted to kill me, which was another ironic part of my story what the fuck? that is just ironic and mind-blowing. <laughs> 
the, the night before I was testifying, I, I mean, I knew he was going to question me. Wow. And I was a little apprehensive about it. I said to the FBI guys, um, I'm really going to be not comfortable with him standing in front of me asking me questions. Yeah, no shit. And they said, you know, you, 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 we know that. And the judge made a ruling that the judge's, you know, stand was this way. And he put a table down the middle of the, from the judge out. Mohammed had to stay on the other side of the table. The witness stand was to the judge's left. He had to stay on the right side of that table and ask me questions, which made me feel a lot better because he was 15 feet away from me or more. I just didn't know how I'd feel or what I'd do if, yeah. he, if he was, like you see on, you know, if he walked right up to the witness stand and started asking me questions, yeah. I said, that's not going to, that's not there gonna might be a problem. problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that, but it was still crazy that he asked me, he asked me two questions. I think, did you see the guy who shot you? No, I didn't see him. I, I, and I didn't, I, I saw a flash of light and the thing right. blew up and I didn't see who, who it was or, or could describe him. And then he asked me, uh, I, I don't even remember the second question he asked me. But, but, but what he did is before he asked the question, he, uh, he said to me, or said to the whole court, he said, I, I, I know what it's like to be facing death. So he and I had something in common. And that was insane because he was implying that he, him facing the death penalty was the same as me facing bleeding to death getting shot <laughs> you know and the judge said which i thought was really good he said no you you cannot say that you have to just ask him questions don't say anything like that again or whatever so right. he, he got reprimanded for saying that incredibly absurd comparison that's uh but that's, that's what insane. happened that's like so anyway then after he he i think the next day well, maybe that same afternoon, he decided not to represent himself and <laughs> have, took his lawyer's advice and they represented him. He, I, I think I was, in a, I was interrogated by or, or questioned by him. And maybe, maybe one other person was, but then he quickly changed his mind on being a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> good idea it did help yeah. me either way so yeah you know so anyway that that's just another crazy thing that uh that happened that's so crazy i would have like, like i said earlier i would have never no one would ever know that because you know let's if you're following the trial on c-span if they even showed i know they showed the illustrations and stuff like that but i mean you're not going to know that unless if you're like glued right. to it you know right. and it's right. the fact that the person who had you shot, even though he didn't pull the trigger, right? You know, let's don't get it twisted, but Muhammad is the mastermind of this. Yeah. You know, Malvo was a 17 year old boy from Jamaica who looked at mm -hmm. him as a father figure. And this man is a 42 year old adult who was a military man. He was structured. He was smart. He had a, he had a lot of, lot of things that helped him kind of make Malvo do a lot of this stuff. Hold on. I think I, you froze. Uh 
Oh no. There you go. Hold on. Can't hear you. You can't hear me. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You you froze. Okay, you froze. Well, I froze to you, and you froze to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I was talking, but I didn't I, know whether you could hear. Same. No, you're good. So we'll just restate okay. that. So basically, and okay. I'll just chop this out. So yeah. he he was you know a 42 year old man. He basically had Malvo do all of the stuff for right. him. So can you maybe talk about that relationship because it's very odd. I it was. It was extremely odd. I mean, uh, Mohammed took advantage of a of a kid who was basically on his own since he was seven or eight years old. I mean, he lived on the streets in Jamaica and Antigua. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his mother, uh, it wasn't, it was not a good childhood. No. And Mohammed took advantage of that, just kind of, just psychologically was was incredible in taking advantage of posing or acting as a father figure for this kid and then molding him to be able to do whatever Muhammad wanted him to do, which got to the point of actually convincing him, so to speak, to, that killing people was the way to go. Uh, so it was, it's not an excuse, it's, but it is take, he did, whether you want to say he brainwashed him or, or formed him into a monster, he really did. He did. And, and that in no way is saying that Malvo wasn't aware of what he was doing and he wasn't responsible for what he, he was. But I think he himself admits that he, he was a monster. He, he just, he did that stuff and he admits that he did it, but, uh, you know, he did take advantage of him. There, there's, oh, for sure. Uh, but it's not, it's not an excuse. You know, it, it, he, neither one of them get off without any excuse for doing what they did. You right. can't kill people. I mean, I always said that when Malvo shot me, he, he knew what he was doing. He right. wasn't, he wasn't a robot. He wasn't controlled to the extent that he just was doing something and, you know, walked away and didn't know what he did, but right. he, he knew, he knew what he was doing. Right. And no, I he, agree. So, yeah, no, he definitely, you know, to do something like you're saying, the, these extremes, you have to know a little bit about what you're doing and, and what you're causing. But to your point, Muhammad was a master manipulator and it's, it, yeah. it proves, I mean, if you can convince someone, regardless if they're 17 or 30 to yeah. kill someone, yeah. And that many times in this manner, it's like, you know, what did he, what was he telling him? So let's talk about Malvo because he is, he got life without parole. Um, right. You know, granted he was 17. I think that's probably, if he was 14 or 13, it might've been a different story, but 17, you're, you know, 18, you're a year away from being a legal adult. So maybe that played in the part, but, you know, me and you had this conversation on the phone of, you know, because because I'll tell you what, just so that everyone listening and watching can how I found you was I didn't even know your story. All I knew was the sniper victims. Right. So I read an article and it and it was about convicting uh, underage uh, felons or um, uh, people who murder for, for murder, basically in violent crimes uh, with life without parole. And they're saying that that shouldn't be the case. And if you read it, it read like Paula Rufa was team malvo 
And 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 I I was I was like, no fucking way is someone who got shot by someone vouching for them to potentially be free at some point. So that's why I reached out to you and you clear that up for me. So maybe yeah. talk about that for a second. Yeah, there 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 was a organization I I I was contacted uh I was contacted by them. And they just asked if I would, they told me what they did and, and if I would be interested in finding more about it and, and uh, what it was, was the uh, campaign for the fair sentencing of youth. And their premise is that uh, there is science that says brain development doesn't uh, complete itself until the early twenties and 17 year olds and 14, 15, 16 year olds do things and they don't have the same uh, feeling that that older people do. They they do things, they don't think of consequences. They don't. There's reason to believe that, or scientific reason that backs that up. Uh, so they, they, they're in favor of, and, and there are 25, 25 or 26 states in the District of Columbia that have outlawed the sentence of life without parole for juveniles, people under 18. And I said, I, I, I understand that. And, and uh, in being involved with this organization, I met a whole bunch of people that have been re, uh, given a second chance, uh, be evaluated after, uh, after some time in prison. And some time means I met people that served 40 years in prison or 30 some odd years in prison. And then we're finally given a, a, a second chance. They were serving time because they did something when they were 14 or 15 or 16 years old and were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Now, these people were released under, under this, uh, the, the idea of this law. Uh, and the, the, they become good citizens they they what they did at 15 they understand they take responsibility for it but they are vastly different people when they're 35 40 than they were at 15 uh and some of them didn't didn't actually kill somebody they might have been just with somebody who robbed a store and so i i didn't think that i thought it was reasonable that that that's not justice that, that somebody should at least if you're 15 years old and, and you're with a group of people and they do something horrible, uh, kill somebody or hurt somebody really bad, should you go to jail for the rest of your life? And I thought, maybe not. And all I was advocating for is, is to not have the, the sentence be life without the possibility of parole. So you, when, when you're 15 and you're sentenced to life without parole, you're condemning somebody to, to basically die in prison after 60 more years or 74 year, 70 more years of, of living, which didn't, I don't particularly, I don't think that's justice. Right. So anyway, so I would, and, and the important thing to me was all the law is saying is that you can't sentence a juvenile to life without parole and it's saying that the the laws that are being passed are after if a juvenile commits a crime after serving 
in most states, it's after serving 20 years, you get a hearing, a chance. You don't get out. You get a chance to get out. And I said, what's unreasonable about that? It's not saying you get out. And therefore, when you say the law was passed in Virginia, uh, Malvo is in prison in Virginia. Uh, I guess the way I understand it, after 20 years, next year will be 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't know if it counts from when he went to prison or when it's so I, maybe it's Time 2023. Served, yeah, 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 2023. Yeah. I don't know. But in a, in a couple of years, he will, because of that law, he, he will be uh, eligible for a hearing. Mm-hmm. That's not me saying he just happens to be in a state that made this and, and he will be eligible because he fits the criteria of, right. of what the law is about. But that's not saying I'm, I'm in favor of letting Malvo go free. Right. You know, it's just, there are 500 other people that would be on the list be going free before Malvo right. because they didn't kill 10 people. Right. You know, so so it, it's just a matter of, of degree and, and it's just, uh, you know, the press does crazy, you know, they make it. I knew there was a danger that they would make me sound. I, you know, the value of me advocating for this is that, okay, I was a victim at the time. I hated who, who shot me. I couldn't care less if he got life without parole. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about it then. I think about it now, not in relation to him, in relation to these other people who right. who uh, deserve may deserve a, a chance. But you know, even the laws now that 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 say after twenty years you get a hearing, everybody doesn't get out. Right. I think right. it's in Arkansas, two thirds of the people don't get out. That you know, when they get, come up for the hearing, they they say no, we're not letting you out. Right. So it's not like. Oh, let's open the prisons and let everybody out. And this other other maniacs that have these ideas. Right. I'm not for that at all. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just for a fair system where you you do have punishment. You have to have punishment for going out and killing somebody. But maybe you don't have to spend the rest of your life in jail from the time you're 15 till the time you're 75. Right. Um, and that's that's all I advocate for. And it and it will happen. You know, the Supreme Court rule that basically you, you can't sentence a, a, a juvenile to life without parole, but then they have, unless, unless he's there incorrigible, uh, you know, and who decides that? Who decides that somebody is, uh, cannot be turned around, you know? So there, there are, so there, there are like little tweaks or loopholes in the law. So it's not a, a nationwide law. It's in 26 states that, actually say you can't do it eventually it'll be i think either state by state or federal take a federal ruling taking out like any loopholes of incorrigibility uh so it will it won't be a, a, a thing you, you already can't sentence a juvenile to death right. nationwide in the country and i'm pretty sure it'll happen where <clears throat> you you won't be able to sentence a child to life in prison without parole. Right. That's, yeah, and, that's all. Seems and, pretty reasonable to me. Although, it, it to, you know, I understand the other side. People say, oh, he deserved. Yeah, Malvo may deserve to stay in jail for 200 years, but uh, but all the other people may not. There may be other people. That's what I'm saying. Is I, I think to your point, it's 
we're also talking about a case that is so unique and and is not average. So Malvo's situation is right. not your average Joe who, like you said, who wasn't a trigger man, who was at the wrong place at the wrong time, right. that someone got the book thrown at him. That right. is a completely different situation than someone, Absolutely. whether he was manipulated or not, still killed 10 people and at some point right. knew what he was doing and that was wrong. So me personally, if it got to that point, they probably will never let Malvo out just on the gravity of the case. And I would, I would you know, think so. Right. I mean, I, I would think I would think that's probably the case. Plus, right. there's legal there's legal ramifications too. If yes, if if they were, then I believe he could be. You know, there's no statute of limitations on murder. So I was going to say he could be tried. He could be tried in Alabama and right. Louisiana right. and and uh, you know, yep. other other states. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not a legal expert, and but you know, his chances of getting out probably aren't really good. Right. But, um, you know, but I know the question will come up and I know I'll get phone calls and say, you in favor of him. No, I'm in favor of him having a hearing because he's, he, he, uh, falls into the purview of the law, but you know, am I going to be in favor of him being released? Probably not. Right. Right. Which makes more sense. I mean, like, like I said, and, and you said it's, it's, this is a, we said on the phone, this is a, an anomaly almost like where it's like that law is made to help people that, you know, are in a different situation than someone who is notable as Malvo. And to be honest, who knows what would happen if he did get out? Like, and, and you're exactly right. If, cause they only, he was only convicted on certain murder cases he wasn't convicted right. on all of them so like to your point if he did get out they would 1000 percent recharge him in all those other murder cases yeah i i you know yeah i don't know how legally yeah but i think that makes that right. makes sense I, they're I not just gonna let him. i think his chances of getting out are pretty damn slim right but you know nothing's impossible and we live in a crazy world but uh you know that that's that's the story i don't know what will happen Right. But uh, I'm pretty sure he's not getting out. But, but yeah, no, and and I never thought of. I was always one to be like, listen, if you 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 know you got to pay the piper. If you did the crime, you got to do the time, you know. And but that's where I think it's a it's fucked up. Is where like does the time equal the crime? His case, I'm not talking about. Like right. like, but you know you know if 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 you know we got people getting out of prison all the time because they sold a dime bag in 1982 of weed and they got yeah. life in prison, like. <laughs> yeah that is ridiculous and now it's legal in some in most states yeah. so it's like yeah. that, that that's where i kind of like you know the scales need to be more adjusted to where it's like all right you sold you sold a brick of weed we're going to give you you know three months in jail we're not going to give you 20 years right so you know and that goes with the violent crimes i think yeah it does i mean you know i'm all for reform but reform isn't oh let's open the prisons and let no. everybody out let's let's not have prisons anymore let's not have punishment anymore you know that's just insanity that is uh it, it's it, that's not that's not justice and it's not society it, it, it no society could could deal with that but i'm all for having as as equal justice as you can but uh, but not that doesn't mean like I said, uh, doing away with prisons and now prisons can be reformed. Prisons are hell holes, but yeah, they're not, know, maybe they, maybe they should be. That's, that's the first problem. Yeah. yeah. They, you're not being uh, rehabilitated when you're in prison. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's I not the case. Yeah. 
and I, I do, I, I am a believer that people can change. And I've met them. I've spent time with them. I've had dinner with them. And obviously I met them and they're in their thirties or forties. And obviously I can tell they're not the same person that no. did whatever they did in uh, 30 years ago. Yeah. At 15 it's years old. Person. That's it's you're right. And there's science, like you said, I mean, I think it's like, there's a study, the male brain doesn't fully develop until their late twenties, which yeah. I mean, yeah. sorry, ladies, but that, <laughs> that is true. And, and, you know, doing something at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, you know, it's, and sometimes there's these anomaly cases where the, the kid is just like, psychotic like they are like something wrong with them but it's like things led yeah. up to that point you know and um you're exactly right I, I don't think it's but what you're not saying though is if someone is you know when you're 24 years old and you do something you you gotta you know yeah that's it doesn't equal it's only for juveniles yeah yeah right. I, I you know there there is a reason why why these laws it's kids aren't the same as adults. People right. want to think they are, but kids aren't just shrunken down adults. They're just not. <laughs> no. You know, no. A 13 year old, 14 year old, 15 year old isn't the same as a 40 year old. They it, they have a different way of thinking and acting and and it's just they're not the same. So they and and we don't treat them the same in a lot of things, but yet somehow you know, we were treating them the same a 40 year old would get life without parole and a 15 year old would get life without parole. Right, well, but they can't drive. You know, 15 year olds can't vote 40 years. Well, there is, there is a difference there. Why is there a difference? Right. Because there's a difference. Kids aren't adults. Right. So I totally agree. Do you talk to any of the, um, I know I, I reached out to, um, I ran Brown. The, yeah. I think he was the, 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 the child that got yeah. shot yeah. Um, and survived. Do you talk to any of the victims? I haven't talked to him. I'd like, I'd like to talk to him. Uh, did you talk to him? Uh, we we went back and forth and uh, on LinkedIn, and he's 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 going to come and talk to me. Uh, oh, okay, so I can absolutely put you two in connection. Yeah, sure. do it because I I would like to talk to him. I have talked to uh, well, I I, I did a, a a show years ago with with uh, Caroline Sewell and and uh, uh, um, what's her name? My mind is blank. Um, two women who survived. One. Um, Kelly Adams. Well, her name is Kelly. She has a different last name now. But Kelly Adams and Caroline Sewell. Kelly Adams was coming out of a liquor store uh, that she worked at with uh, Claudine Parker in Alabama, in Montgomery, Alabama. And Claudine was killed instantly. And miraculously, uh, Kelly survived. She was hit in the face and part of her face was just blown off. But she it's all been, you know, she's had a million operations and and uh, so she survived. And Caroline Sewell was shot in the parking lot in, in Virginia, and, and she survived. So I, yes, I've talked to them. And it's interesting because um, we had, if you asked, I was asked to describe what I felt that when I was shot, what I felt mentally. And it's absolutely amazing that not knowing these other two people and hearing them, all three of us had the same kind of thoughts wow. which is it it, it was it, to me it was pretty amazing psychologically that mm -hmm. that when you think you're close to death you you kind of had you kind of thought the same things and uh so yeah I, I have i haven't in years i haven't talked to them but uh you know i have 
come into contact with them in the past, but not not so recently awesome. with that's other awesome. people who's, who survived. Um, so that's cool. Do you do like talks or anything or talk about like Vic, like anything like that? Or do you just kind of like, you know, do your own thing now? You mean now? Do I? Yeah. Do like I, what's, what's Paul doing now? You know. I mean, what I do now? I you know I retired. I sold we we sold the restaurant in two thousand eight, and uh, after twenty two years, and uh, now I'm just retired. I mean, I just do a lot of stuff. I have, I, I live in Southern Maryland, and I have fifteen acres, and I have two horses. So nice. That that keeps me busy just working around here. Right. But I, you know, I try to do like I was active with CFSY, and I went you know do stuff with them uh take part in some of their you know seminars and stuff mm -hmm. and uh so that's it you know i, I keep busy good man I'm yeah busy. you seem you seem like someone who needs to keep busy i mean you told me you know, a couple of days after you got shot you like wanted to go back to the pizza place which makes yeah. sense because it's probably like a mental escape you know oh yeah i wanted i i wanted i felt good there and i wanted to go back and, and i did and I, I was there you know pretty fast after it wasn't like i was not there for six months right because right. when you have your own business you got to be there every day oh, my yeah, wife I and i were there every day so yeah, yeah. It, it's hard to do it by yourself so if i'm sitting home and she's there by herself it's it's tough and that only happened for a couple of days then i came back and at least could see what's going on and you know get around a little bit and then then i you know then i got more into it and i could i could work with my crazy thing on my hand and mm -hmm. bartend and and i could even cook using my weird thing on my Contraption, hand yeah. but uh, uh the worst <laughs> the worst thing was just a sideline when I, and i always remember this and i tell people you don't realize when when i first got home and i uh from the hospital and i got to actually take a a, a shower you know uh I didn't realize it's really hard <laughs> taking a shower with only one hand. Oh, for sure. <laughs> You're doing this and, you know, and, yeah, and opening it's your just, hands. It's, 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 it was pretty funny, you right. know, so I'd use my bad hand as a, I put the washcloth and just hang it on my hand. So I use that <laughs> as a little thing and I take it and, and then put it back. But that's I, amazing. But not being able to use both hands was pretty, you don't think of it. No, but when you take a shower, you are using both your hands all the time. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you, you take these things for granted. I know. You to know? do something with one hand, like taking a shower, is, 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 I just, I, you know, I stopped and I said, holy mackerel, this is really yeah. weird. This is really going to be difficult. <laughs> I, this dumb looking hand that doesn't move yep. isn't helping me at all. Literally, just so, there. uh, you know, how do you, how do you soap up a washcloth one handed? Right. Yeah, no. Lay it on this dumb hand. <laughs> so anyway, there are ways to do it, but That's it's amazing. not easy. It's not easy. But anyway, I do, I I do have to do things every day. So every day, if I go through a day and I, you know, I never have nothing to do. You know, when people say, "Oh, I love to sit around and do nothing," I say, "How do you do that? Right, how do you right. do nothing?" Yeah, I don't know how to do nothing. Yeah, no, it's. Anyway. I agree. I'm there with you. And you know, one last question, and I'll let you go. How does yeah. your how does your how did your wife? handle all of this stuff because i can imagine you know you being shot you know being involved with dc sniper it, like how is she with all of this stuff oh, she's been i mean she went through hell you know when it happened she was sitting there a lot of time by herself before my son got there i just can't imagine sitting alone in the middle of the night you know from they started operating on me at probably 10 30 quarter to 11 
to, to I don't know, seven o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. They would they they come out. Somebody would come out and give her some progress reports on what was happening. But that that's that was rough. You know that I don't know how she did that, but that's pretty tough. Not wondering. I mean, wondering whether you're gonna live, gonna die or not. Yeah, and uh, so and then she was she was tough through it all i mean she just just hung in there and put up with uh you know satellite trucks at the restaurant and people wanted to interview and it was it it was a crazy thing uh, because i i always say it's a weird feeling when you're used to watching the news and seeing these kind of things happen that compared with you're the guy on the news and that's a weird feeling that's, it's me it's really me you're you talking know. about me am i yeah yeah, yeah and uh, and it, that that's weird you say yeah. how did i go from watching the news which always happened to other people to all of a sudden it happened to me you know and you always yeah. hear oh it could happen to you you can it could happen anytime that's true it because is. it did happen to me you know right, right. and uh you know so it it, it is it is weird how that, how your mind works and you say it, it could happen. And, and people that say, you know, there's no guarantee for tomorrow. You could die today. It's true. You it's, know, it's yeah. true. Yeah. I was fine. I left the restaurant. I was fine. It was a good night. It was a good night. I 16 years of business. Really Great life. Well. Yeah. And it, it had a chance of ending in 20 seconds. Right. And, and the fact that it didn't, uh, you know, I'm thankful every day. That's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for talking to me. And, and all and, right, hope I didn't talk too much, but no, I tried honestly, to bring out some no, stuff dude. people didn't know about. No, this is this and, is great, man. And I like I said in the beginning, it's nice to see because I've watched your videos, I've watched interviews that you've been on, and 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 being in film, I told you this before. Like I know, like you could talk for three hours; they'll use three minutes. So yeah, yeah. I, I love this, and you you dropped a lot of uh, interesting facts and things about it. You gave a good storyline. You told everybody kind of what happened and that didn't understand and know the details. And I mean, this was, this was fantastic. Um, and I, I really thank, thank you, you for coming on, man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to blab about what happened to me and other people and, and how it affected the world. But, you know, life is good. I'm happy. I hope you are happy. Definitely, man. Thank you. And, and that's another episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast. And we'll see you next time.